monster, which one is this? This uh, is episode 43. Episode 43 of Rumor Requirement. Yeah. A podcast dedicated to reason and resilience in the time of Trump. You're looking good. You look thank happy you, huh? and like, uh, you're not in suffering from allergies anymore. I am not suffering from allergies. I am Kamala Shroud, by the way. Oh, yeah. Right. So, yeah. And, and this is Miracle Jones. <laughs> um, yeah, I am, I am not suffering from allergies. I feel like that has passed. I think the peak allergy was issue was uh, actually this weekend um, where I thought, well, you know, I'm having some allergies. Why don't I go run in the park to see how that <laughs> oh deals with it? <laughs> I was going to make it back. I was thinking about it after our last podcast. Yeah. It's like, I don't really get allergies, but growing up, like, every time I mowed the yard, I would just, like... Would, die a little? Yeah, I would die a little, so I definitely feel it. And then, mm. and there was never an excuse to get out of it, you know? Yeah. It's like, you know... So I think uh, allergy season is over. Um, I have a... I I have found um, sort of a new exercise schedule. I'll go to see how it works out. I um, have decided that maybe I'll start to take Aikido again, but ah, in, but in Queens. So Queens Aikido. Yeah, um, one of our listeners actually recommended this place, and I checked it out in the beginning. And I was like, okay, well, I want to do something else. But it's it's the only Aikido studio in Rigo Park. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, it's just yeah, I I have lots of stories about it, but it's and I've only been there once. <laughs> It's great. Um, it's just kind of a fantastic thing. Anyway, so this place uh, may fit in better in my schedule. They have like late night classes, so from like nine to ten. Oh, so that's just gonna do well for me. And that's like two stops away, right? Yeah. Well, it's like three, but right. three or four actually. But it's it's super easy to get to from here. And so I've, uh, I think I'm in all likelihood gonna go back to Aikido again. So maybe a little bit more exercise, eating a little better. Yeah, things are are in general pretty good. This kind of short spring season that we have in New York is wonderful. <laughs> and how are you, man? Ah, I'm great. Like, do you have summer plans? Uh, not really, you know. I might try to get out of the city some. Uh, I'm, I've been invited to do a show in Chattanooga. Oh, that's great. So I might go down to Chattanooga and, I don't know, get, read some shit and mm-hmm. maybe go down with a band or something. That's play, cool. Play some music. I, I, like, I like Tennessee a lot. That's it's, cool. Do you play music? No, no. Oh, I was right. in a band in, in, uh, in college. Okay, all right. Uh, what instrument didn't you play? I didn't play any of them. I was just the lead singer of a punk band. Oh, that sounds about right. Yeah, <laughs> that sounds about right. <laughs> Were you, have you, do you play? Do you play music? You no, play? I was really, really terrible at it. Yeah. I was the least talented person in marching band. Yeah. I, Apologize to this day. I but probably, you were in marching band. Yeah, I was in marching oh, band. This is a revelation. Band. Like I, didn't I played the this. trumpet. You played the trumpet. Yeah, we had a very big band program in yeah. high school. So were you in it for all all four years? No, I did it for a couple of years in middle school, okay. and then a couple of years in high school, and then I went to I joined the paper. Did, in marching band, you're not you're not to really play though. You just have to look like you're playing, right? A little bit. You kind of have to. Yeah, right. we're. I was bad. I was bad because <laughs> I couldn't march. I couldn't really play, and I couldn't march very well. I'm just not good at marching. <laughs> do you, and, and then I couldn't march and play. I was awful. I was really awful. Do you still have a trumpet? Uh, I don't know. I think my sister may still have our trumpet. But yeah, I, I, it may be like lying around in the house somewhere. Was she in band too? Yes, she also played a trumpet. Was she good? No, okay. I don't think so. I don't it's think like she was family. very good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm impressed by being in it, even though like you didn't. You know, didn't have just, an innate interest in it. Yeah, it was ethic. Yeah, work ethic. Yeah, I mean, just, just the grind. I would. I wish I would worked at it harder. Actually, I mean, really, like then you'd be better at marching band. Like it seems kind of a waste. Well, of- there are things in life that I should have been better at. 
like should marching be. bands. Well, know. no, I mean, I, musically, <laughs> musically, I think I should. I mean, every it's nice to be able to play an instrument, yeah, right? Like, I'm, yeah, you know, to sit down, piano, you, you come, you know, like I don't know, like you know, I've seen these things where people get together and they, you know. Interact musically, it looks lovely. Sure. You, it, it's called, like that scene in Fame. It's called karaoke. It's wonderful. I, know, I like karaoke. <laughs> yeah, we did karaoke. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I can karaoke. That's yeah. different. That's, that's very, not very different. different. No, that's just lack of shame. Yeah, but that's that's all. That's what talent. That's what performing teaches you, right? Like that's only per- you got that right. Right. You got the lack of shame. Right. I guess so. Yeah, yeah I got out of it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And once you get that, like, there's no reason to carry on to something you don't really like. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Maybe. I don't know. I, I, would, I would love to be able to play, like, piano or something like that. But I don't. My, my stepdad bought me a harmonica when I was uh, in sixth grade. Yeah. And that's the only instrument I've ever tried to play. And it's yeah. great. You, you, you know, it's very, it fits in your pocket. Yeah. You can do a lot of things with it. You can yeah. practice anywhere. Yeah. I recommend a harmonica. Like, okay. You know, All right. Up. That seems... Uh, okay. Yeah, I think you'd be great at harmonica. I recommend... I'm going to get you a harmonica. Okay. <laughs> great. Great. Get me one from Chattanooga. <laughs> yeah. Been... There's nothing you regret, like, not being good at or have done more of in high school? I regret... Like, I regret, okay. like, not getting into things I'm already good at earlier. Okay. You know? Like, like, I regret how much time I spent playing football. Because that was a lot of my life, and, it's, and I could have been spending that doing anything else, you know? Uh, I mean, I guess I'm sure it taught me some things, but... I, I think that I, I would... It would have been better for me to have played a team sport. You know, just being able to get along with people, chit-chat, relate, uh, being able to, like... You know, work with a team. Those things actually came, you know, late to me in life. That was particularly difficult. You think so? But like, so marching band's kind of a team sport, though. You're like, Not really. You're just you're just playing, and you just you follow your own. I guess maybe a little bit, but yeah, I didn't. I never learned to like really work with a team until you know work yeah. actual you know work. So uh, that was that was a, that was a skill set that I could have probably picked up earlier in life. Newspaper's kind of a team sport, too. That's true. That's true. I think that was the first experience. And that was just so... That was... We were, we were both in it. Like, that yeah. was really vital and important to, like, my... I loved that. I yeah, I think it's so, yeah. Because it was, like, a job. Like, it was the only... It was the closest thing in school to, like, having a job. Mm-hmm. You know? Like, you had... You had deadlines. And, like, you had to work you, hard you at it. making a product for right. the entire school. You know? Yeah. It was, it was real entrepreneurial. And also, you like, freedom of the press, right? So you felt this, like, civic sense of duty. I don't know. I, I, no, I really liked it. It was probably yeah. the best class I took. Yeah, me too. Uh, <clears throat> did, but you never wanted to be a journalist? I thought about it for a hot minute. I, uh, I mean, I don't know. For some reason, I just I didn't want to do that for a living. Yeah. I think living in quotes. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, it's, it's smart, actually. Yeah. <laughs> just, You're probably right. Yeah, yeah I, I just had a very good instinct for what was going to be a viable career yeah. and what wasn't. Right. Was... I wrote a little in college and um, very little in college, and actually ended up my first job. Actually, I wrote a lot, um, and that was very very helpful. Uh, but I don't know. I, I don't think I. I wasn't cut out to be a reporter. I had a couple of people in high school that were really good reporters, and that just wasn't me. What, what do you think you didn't? You I was know? more of an editorial writer, right, yeah. and I didn't, I, and I was mature enough by the end of high school to realize that's an obnoxious set of skills. <laughs> just like punditry and opinion. Yeah, <laughs> like, I mean, yeah. I, I really should know more before I opine about things. Yeah, I don't know about that. I mean, like, if somebody I mean, can clearly s- not. <laughs> <in this> <laughs> podcast. <laughs> I think you're doing great. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
Well, it's like, it's like any intelligence organization, right? You know, you have field agents and you have analysts. Yeah. You're a natural-born analyst, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes, the one thing that I am, yes, is analyst-born, yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, should we get into... Get into politics. Yeah, yes, sure. let's get into politics. Obviously, the most important thing is something that happened today. Yeah. Uh, so it is what, May 8th today. Yeah. yeah. We're recording it on Tuesday. Uh, so Donald Trump, for those of you who don't know, I'm sure most people will, will know by now, uh, announced that we are getting out of the JPCOA, the Iran deal. And this was something that was telegraphed a while ago. It was more or less done when he... Uh, brought Mike Pompeo in as the uh, head of the State Department and jo- John Bolton as the head of NSA. Yeah, so um, so I think that this was a telegraphed move. It's not in any way surprising, but it is somewhat disappointing. So It is surprising to me for one reason, hmm. which is I think the timing is terrible. Like, I think he could have kicked the can down the road another spell and done it after he had negotiated some sort of uh, fake and uh, uh, temporary peace with North Korea, right? This this steps on his own uh, initiatives a little bit and sends a, a really kind of mixed message to the world about America's, like, uh, national security aims. Yeah, let me push back on that. So there's okay. nothing about Donald Trump's modus operandi that says... I will not get in the way of my own initiative. Yes, no, I hear so, you. So, so, so your argument is that it seems inconsistent with his goals. It seems yes. totally consistent with his personality. Uh, and, yeah, yeah, consistent with his personality, not consistent with his stated goals. Yes. Right. But it is, if you were trying to make a case that he is trying to put forward a consistent foreign policy that... He's uh, not. Yeah, I mean, no, but no, I hear you. But mm-hmm. like, let's say that, let's say there was something to be... Some ha- some political hash to be made out of this, right? Yeah. Where, uh, he uh, is good copping North Korea and bad copping Iran, right? Right. He did it in the exact ass wrong order, right? Yeah. He he. There's no now. Both countries are just going to be confused. We're going into an Iran a negotiation with North Korea, having just uh, you know torpedoed the last deal we got into, the last big deal, you know. Right. Uh, in general, we have shown very little reluctance to stick with deals yeah and that signals like not just that will donald trump stick with this deal but does america itself stick with a deal from from uh government to government which makes countries that have authoritarian rule look way more attractive as far as <laughs> as, as, as far as trade deals and just like deals in general right you know like you right. know what you're gonna get with china <coughs> or russia uh, yeah I, I mean i think those are and that's one way of looking at it. I don't know if I would draw those conclusions, but I could see other people drawing those yeah. conclusions. Before we get too deep into all the interconnectedness, yeah. do you want to just unpack a little of why you thought the Iran deal was worth sticking with? Uh, I think, in general, realignment uh, with Iran and the Shiite Muslim countries... Uh, is a good idea if we intend to, generally speaking, move out of the Middle East, right? Like, if we want to cease being a, a military presence there and kind of let uh, countries fend for themselves more, we need to have, uh, we need to have uh, relationships with both sides that are stable and, you know, uh, will result in economic development for countries that will spend it wisely. And I think Iran is potentially one of those countries, right? Uh, well, that's be. true. I mean, uh, what I want to 
push back again on is that no matter what, whoever you align yourself with, they're going to be problematic actors in the region. Yeah, that's absolutely true. But that's always been true. Like, there's never been one day that that has not been true for you know three thousand years. So for sure. uh, So knowing that, knowing that that is like the you know there's like war season in the Middle East, right? In Afghanistan, these are these are. Let me let me tease this out a little yeah. then, because you're also a supporter of Israel, right? Yes. Right, but there is uh, Iran still is somewhat wedded to the notion of um, no, no, no. How do you politely put genocide against the Israeli people? And it's, they are self- also along along those lines sponsors of terrorist organizations um, that have wreaked real havoc in Syria, for example. Oh yeah, no, for sure. And the country that supports Iran more than. Is, is Russia, right? So then, right. So then there's this... And part of the Iran deal is actually freeing up funds, in theory or in practice, that allows the state to pay for such foreign interventionism. Yeah, but we're looking at it in Iran that as, you know, that's true. All Everything you say is correct. However, we're looking at an Iran that has been attempting, in good faith, I think, to liberalize uh, in order to get investment from Europe, mainly, and, and Russia, you know, you know, I don't, I don't think they're going to change their direction as far as investing in Iran one way. I think we just won't be. And right. We well, it does open situation. up the idea that we can sort of clamp down on their assets, right? Theoretically, but, but I mean, it's all dollar denominated assets. The yeah. but they just Treasury to, Department has very long arms when it comes to international finance. They just moved to the euro. That's something to in in April. Iran did. That's right. something to think about, right? Right. Uh, and still, and. You know, like, now Europe and Russia can slam dunk in the face of America, right? This isn't Obama negotiating this deal. This isn't somebody in good faith. This isn't somebody smart or with a a plan. This is somebody walking away, violating an international agreement, right? This this gives them the opportunity on the world stage to redouble their investment in Iran and be like, oh, well, if America is going to create such volatility, we can... Uh, you know, get even closer to this country in order to create stability. Uh, if America is going to privilege the interests of Israel and Saudi Arabia, which uh, there's a case to be made that they are not great actors in the region as either. You know? Right. So I guess the question is, among the other things, is that what do you expect to happen in Iran because of this? Yeah. No. I'm more curious what you think. I've been I've been opining. Like, what do you think? What do you see the future here as far? So as- it's so there are a couple of things that I think are worth keeping in mind. One. It's us on the surface of it. It is a deal that puts a hold on Iran's development of nuclear uh, capabilities. That's the deal so far. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, and for exchange of that, uh, in exchange, uh, they have certain sanctions lifted and some ability to access uh, foreign assets, um, as well as maybe some ability to access capital markets, international capital markets. So this is the trade. Was it worth it? Um, I don't know. So the idea was, I think, the subtle idea underneath all of that was that Iran in 10 years, or how long the agreement would last, it would liberalize. And that we would have someone that is closer to an ally than an enemy in the region, and that could help us, like you said, Withdraw from the region. Let me push back a little bit. I think Iran is already a more liberal country than Saudi Arabia, right? I think that's for just, sure. That's yeah. yeah. But so liberalized, liberalized, something that looks democratic, yeah, right? Like right. A, a religiously conservative 
democracy. It is still, yeah. in a lot of ways, a theocracy, given... Anyway, so the Ayatollahs have review over the political system. Totally, yeah. So that it, it's, it's a still, if it's not a theocracy, it's, a, it's certainly a very religiously-minded autocracy. Yes, but I think it would be far easier for Iran to overnight become a secular state than it would Saudi Arabia, right? Like, Perhaps. If, Iran could go, like, Turkey-style, you know, Lebanon-style even, secular state. Uh, yeah, we don't... Within I, a couple of years. Saudi Arabia, that's a cultural, that's a generational thing, right? Like that Right, and I'm not sure that the aims of American democracy or foreign policy should be to get to a secular state as much as it should be to get to, a, let's face it, deeply anti-Semitic. That's, that's definitely true. I mean, that, that is a huge problem. I mean, it is... Uh, and, and so part of this deal is learning how to dance with someone we kind of find repulsive. You know, we have armies on both sides of them right now. Big armies, right? right. Like America's military presence in both Iraq and Afghanistan is uh, immense, right? Yeah. And those armies are not entirely there to pacify Iraq and Afghanistan, right? That is their stated goal of being there. Right? Sure. But they're really there because we, that is the way we have encircled Iran, right? Uh, uh, to some degree. I, I disagree yeah. with that. But I, I, th- I think if Iran was the only problem, yeah. we would move offshore in a heartbeat. I don't think I think it is very hard to retreat from either Afghanistan or Iraq. Iraq, I think you have more of a case because I think the minute that you withdraw from Iraq, I believe it would client be over state. Very yeah. Quickly. yeah, yeah. I, you know, one might, way or another. Yeah. So you know, like once again, our big our big move there, the the brilliant chess move that we could have was to put a Kurdish state in between. You know, Kurdistan. You know, being the center of this. Horrible, you know, four-way chess game with right. Turkey, Saudi, uh, Syria, and Iran. Just put Kurdistan in the middle, and you know, then I you still, have Switzerland. Well, I mean, that's it also happened now. So it, I, I don't think it would have happened even in the Obama administration, right? There's no way. No, that, no. it would have required. Uh, it would have required Turkey to be far more relaxed about the Kurds on their border. Yeah, and that's just. We not, would have had to give some incentive to Turkey. If, to, huge incentives. I mean, they're they still look at the Kurds as a separatist terrorist organization. On mass, right? Yeah. There's no, there's no way forward. It's a huge, it's not a, it's not a group that they are comfortable with giving any sort of autonomy to. Yeah. So, and if your major principal partner in that region was at least Turkey, it's very hard to say, hey, we're going to back these separatists. So, yeah. Kurds work in some weird diplomacy board game when you're able to like talk it out. But I think in theory, in in reality, the Turkey had. Just it, they had checked that move. Like there's no way you could have in any way let that pawn go. Yeah, you may be right about that, but it, it does still seem like a, a missed opportunity. What, one of the things that we uh, we're kind of dancing around is how much we don't, how much backing the Iranian government allows us to not be in such cahoots with Saudi Arabia, right? Yeah. Or there are better ways to put that, but. <laughs> Why? And what, so it's interesting to think of uh, the American government being so buddy buddy with uh, Saudi Arabia, where the regime has certainly sponsored terrorism. If it's certainly not a democracy, it's so. certainly not a democracy. It is an yeah. appalling reactionary government. Yeah, human rights record rivals China, and the, oh know. yeah, it's even worse. I mean, it's easily worse. It's it's not quite North Korea, but it is just terrible. Yeah, and addition like the influence 
leads to you know terrorist actions all over the planet right? yeah uh, one of the things that I've been scratching my head about or at least in terms of Saudi Arabia is why do you think Israel feels very comfortable with them right now they seem to have really buddied up with uh, Saudi Arabia in the recent I would say years like t- two or three years it's a it's a real temporary thing I think I mean yeah. it, is, it is a it's a question I guess like you could see some sort of world in where things stabilize as a result of one winner in the region right like so if Saudi Arabia just takes over right like if there is a real war yeah and Saudi somehow Ar- Saudi Arabia manages to win it yeah with the help of Turkey and Israel yeah. and the United States right yeah and uh, Iran is absorbed utterly not gonna happen yeah uh, right you know, and then Israel is as a gets to absorb Syria <laughs> sure. as a result of you know like uh, turning that entire coast mm-hmm. into uh, Israeli territory. Then you know both countries could shake hands, and then a new century begins, right? And Shiite Islam is no more, right? Is this the dream? Like that? I don't I don't understand what else they have in mind with their kind of alliance here what their their goal is because well i think the obvious question is it's a little more tactical or the yeah. o- obvious answer rather is it's more tactical than strategic and the way that the tactics came around is that they they were very worried about the influence of iran yeah. especially post deal yeah i think the iranian deal forced two people who were at best awkward bedfellows to be to act somewhat in concert over the past 18 months. Mm-hmm. So that says something about the impact of the deal as it stood. I am very curious. What I'm most curious about, and I wish I could had access to some articles about it or some intelligence or anything, is just what the nature of their relationship is right now between Iran and Russia. You know? Like, yeah. I am so curious, like, what, you know, Rouhani and Putin talk about, if they talk about anything, you know? Like, what... What is going on, right? Like, are they growing closer? Are they growing further apart? I mean, is do they what? What are their goals together in the region? You know, like classically, they've been aligned, but that seems not like a permanent thing. Uh, right. I I wonder if we're not in the age of of tactical thinking. Like, we don't have any great grand, yeah. grand strategists, right? Yeah. So Putin, people who are in charge say. Putin, for example, thinks of it in terms of tactics, how to build out the sphere of Russian influence, right? Yeah. Including Syria for some god-awful reason. He thinks that's part of the... Rush. Saltwater port. Port, yeah, the <laughs> saltwater port. So I think with Iran, right, they want to also in, uh, increase their influence, their sphere of influence to Iraq, um, perhaps all the way to Lebanon. Yeah. Um, in such a way that I don't know, I don't know how how long, how far that would stretch. But the idea is that they're also acting rather tactically, um, in sort of small regional spheres, trying to grow their small regional spheres. And there's no way to think about what is the global grand strategy here. Yeah. And there's no one who's willing to do that because the only the only real power seems uncap incapable of thinking or projecting power in a strategic way that has long-term goals. So what do you think is... So now that we pulled out of the 
uh, Iran deal, what do you think are the real ramifications both for Iran um, as well as a larger region? And also, I guess, um, maybe our own allies. Yeah, well, if it wasn't true before and how Europe is the leader of the free world, like, definitively and with, like, no... Yeah, I, I disagree with that, but you, okay, yeah. You, you think we still have a case to make to anybody that we have... Uh, well, I don't know if getting out of the Iran deal is... is it's the, the way that or, we did it. It's the way that we did it and the way that... Let's say we'd stayed in the Iran deal, right? And we discovered some violation, right? You know, yeah. some did they were enriching uranium or they were hiding chemical or chemical weapons or whatever, right? Yeah. Then we would have a kind of case to pull out, right? And yeah. somebody might believe us about that, right? Okay. You and weapon inspectors. But we're pulling out for no reason at all, right? Violating it on suspicion, right? Or you know, just wanting it to be a bad deal. Wanting it to be a bad deal. Saying, declaiming this deal that we'd already agreed to is a bad deal. Right. Uh, I want to point out it is a, uh, it was a deal put together by executive fiat. So it never could have passed Congress. And it never... T- uh, and so this is... And this is the inherent instability of such negotiated treaties. I... Agreements. Yes, but it was a it was a multilateral. Deal. Sure. So it was a, a question put to America, and we had to answer one way or the other. Right. And we did not have a Congress that was capable of answering that question. We're unwilling to answer that. Unwilling yeah. to answer that question. We have a broken Congress, right? So it came to the president to make a decision one way or the other, and we weighed in and tried to shape it to our liking, and did so. Sure. Uh, and said yes to it. I agree with you that maybe that's not the best way that we should conduct foreign policy, but Trump could have put it to Congress himself if he really believed that that was the problem with it, that it was not uh, ratified by Congress and therefore invalid. But yeah. That's not what happened here either, right? We did not have a say to end it. Uh, it was ended by executive fiat as well. Right. I So what I what my instincts are that this has... America's standing in the world yeah. uh, is not broken one way or the other in terms of whether or not we stayed in or left the Iran deal. America's standing in the world has been in decline for many, many years. <laughs> okay. Certainly, <laughs> we have accelerated recently. Yeah, no, some, no. Some of I'm it. not saying this is like the thing that makes it, that changes it one way or the Whether or not Europe is able or willing to project moral authority, I think, is up for grabs, right? So I have a hard time thinking of France or, or Germany as being a moral authority outside of France or Germany. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't think they play well. I don't think they project even on the European stage. Even a country like Finland or Canada has much more sort of ability to like internationally project, project ideals and stand up for moral values. And it's just that that is how they situate themselves. They continue to try to be countries that engage in their international discussions in all the ways that are both high-minded and ineffectual. You can also couple these things and create and have a middle ground, right? Which America sure. is fast-seeding, right? Like- that is, so, yeah, America had, had an ability to, upon occasion, a willingness to say things that were right about the international community, engage in these sort of bullshitty kind of, I don't know, team-building exercises across the world and actually also fund organizations that tend to do some of the knitting behind uh, scenes where you're actually building organizations that do promote cooperation. So, yeah. Uh, it seems that America has withdrawn from that 
to some degree, although, I mean, we haven't withdrawn funding from the UN or the WTO. Maybe maybe after Trump gets reelected, all of that goes away. But, but it's possible. What I think is more, I think it has more implications for Iran and the immediate Middle East, right? So what do we say? And let's start, actually, what most people don't do is start from uh, the Iranian perspective. Like, what does yeah. this really mean for Iran? Right, yeah. Um, so, one, if sanctions are reversed or they're not allowed to have access to certain capital markets, it means that they will reverse course economically, right? And that's bad. I mean, the country may have started to grow a little, but it actually was a, one of the things that brought it to the table during the Iran deal was that it was on its knees economically. Yeah. And so that's problematic um, at best. Uh, one, even with the Iran deal um, in place, there was a certain amount of turmoil um, within the country. So there were a number of protests even last weekend. And so there's certain frictions in, that are going on that um, this is just going to heighten, right? It's just going to increase the temperature internally, politically. And so I think it makes Iran uh, a much more unstable country in the short term, and a country that has every reason to start to think about that glide path to nuclear arms. So this is something that is deeply troubling. Which, which is, which is an arms race. Like that means that now Israel will have, you know, more, they claim they don't have nuclear weapons. So this will give them uh, a reason to have them. Right. right. Uh, same deal for Turkey and for. Uh, so this starts a. A regional arms race. Yeah, uh, which, you know, means that there will be a lot of nuclear weapons in the hands of very insecure countries who yes. already have a history of funneling uh, weapons to non-state actors, right? right? So that's the nightmare. It's not necessarily that Iran has nuclear weapons. It's that all of a sudden, unstable countries that could be the victim of a coup or uh, just abdication of government at right. any time could fall to something like ISIS, which instead of just having like a power plant or oil reserves would now be a nuclear power, right? Right, right. So I think what this puts us on is a path towards nuclear confrontation, um, and what that it takes us away is our power to somehow delay this, right? So the mm-hmm. Iran deal at its best was kicking this nuclear bucket down the road. Delay it with the hope and proviso that Iran would get a nuclear weapon after becoming a stable country. Right, and I think that was that was saying a lot. I think uh, depending on how you assess the internal politics, I think that was hoping for a lot at any given time. Yeah. But now there's no hope, right? So we... I don't know if there's no hope. So the... so there's no hope, I'm sorry, there's no hope for... Sorry, there's no real reason to believe that they won't go nuclear before they become a stable country. So Rouhani's in power for a while yet. He's got another four years, I believe. Yeah. And uh, Ayatollah is very old, right? Uh, mm-hmm. He's like seventy nine or something like that. Could, yeah. And the rumors are that he's sick, right? Right. So the the race is: will this will this liberal leader, liberalish leader Rouhani, be in power uh, when the Ayatollah dies and a new Ayatollah is selected? And or will a very right-wing reactionary mm-hmm. uh, like uh, Ahmadinejad come to power? Uh, meaning, what will you know that Iran will reverse course and become more bellicose? Right. Uh, 
uh, isolationist. Uh, so that's kind of the calculus. So I believe that Rouhani will, while he is in power, while he is able to be in power, will continue to attempt his plan of liberalizing and just and use this as a uh, a way to chastise America internationally, more, right. more so than and Israel, more in a way that helps him keep power at home, right? So I think this cedes the power to the reactionaries in Iran. And the reason is that Rouhani won't remain in power. Already there were a number of protests over the past year yeah. attacking him. Uh, there's a lot of discontent both with the domestic economics as well as the foreign adventurism and um, an economy that just hasn't really recovered. And that's why I want to know what he and Putin are talking about, right? Because right. it's the same thing, you know, right. are, is, are, are, he, are Rouhani and Putin as tight as, uh, you know, Assad and Putin, right? Is, is, yeah. is Russia going to uh, back Rouhani if there's an uprising or civil war in Iran? Yeah. What happens there, you know? Like, uh, is, uh, is Russia going to begin investing uh, and stabilizing Iran uh, more so now that America's out of it, you know? Right. I mean, that's a possibility. I also think that the ability of Russia to stabilize any country <laughs> is small, but... Yes. <laughs> Unless that country is tiny. But we're, you're talking about stabilized economically. Just like, you know, putting three military bases in Iran would do go a great deal toward quelling uh, potential civil war uprising there. But I mean, it would it would also... I, a huge I, signal it would be you know Russia I, and Iran are tight you know yeah. that's not a great look for Russia right they're already in Syria with Iran right you know like it's it's already a fact but actually being there you know like that's a whole different yeah thing. I'm less worried about the Russian angle as I am internal internal factionalism well but taking over and I think you're right and then so when we yeah. have that that cleaving then you open up the ability to peddle influence, and so at some point, yeah. So, but let's let's game this out. Actually, okay. so what happens is that uh, Rouhani is deposed in some way, yeah, uh, either by the street or or whatever, um, and so there's at least a faction. At that point, Iran ceases to be a democracy, though, right? And that is true. Not necessarily. So there's a right wing faction that'll mm -hmm. take over that was never a fan of the deal anyway, and they say, hey, the deal has gone under we want someone else um there is the rohani faction which is this weird center ground and then there's the more liberal secular version yeah uh so that last bit will probably be backed by america and israel and oddly enough saudi arabia <laughs> maybe the middle faction gets russia and uh and then who backs the hardliners yeah I mean, probably also Israel and America. Iraq. That's about it. Yeah. So right. It's um. Uh, so I don't think that I don't think it, I don't think America will back the hardliners. I think they won't. I, 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 so what will happen? I think is that it's going to be these weird, strange political bedfellows where America is either on the side of Russia in Iran, or Saudi Arabia is on the side of of the liberals in Iran. So. That's it's just going to be a really weird time, and it's just going to, and well, and what we're implying here is that there's going to be a pretty wrenching. Iran's best strategy would be to liberalize as much as they can in America's face, right, and uh, attempt to 
reach out to Europe and Russia and China and say, look, listen, you know, like America backed out of this deal. America is the unstable country that can't be trusted. We are going to hold to the agreement, you know, keep allowing UN weapons inspectors and in, invite them in even more, right? And, yeah. and, you know, prove to the world that we are the country we say we want to be. Uh, and, uh, mm. and, you know, now's the time to buy Iran, you know, like to, to, to let us invest in you and I you, you invest in us. I think that's naive about how the politics will play out. Maybe naive, but I think that would be their best play as far as power politics go. I think that would be best for Iran, and I think it what would is, what is help Europe, them improve in the region. What does Europe get out of that? Europe gets, you know, a place to spend cash. I mean, mm. I, don't, I, I don't know. I mean, a place that could theoretically, you know, like Europe doesn't trust Saudi Arabia, right? They yeah. are not as embedded in Saudi Arabia as we are, right? They they are looking for an inroad into the Middle East, but... And they're uh, more comfortable with Iran. That, I understand. With Iran. And so you would still be allowed... So if they continue to keep up with the not... Put, uh, if they continue to not build a bomb... Yeah. Uh, you think, Which is very easy. <laughs> yeah. And then you think whatever Europe gives them would recompense them in some ways. I think they. I think Europe now has the moral case to make that they need to invest more in Iran, right? Because mm. otherwise, it it becomes unstable, and Israel and America and Saudi Arabia invade, right? Also, the uh, the Iran has the moral case to make that they need to take investment from Europe, because otherwise, right? Israel, Saudi Arabia, and America will invade. All right. Um, and it makes it makes liberalization a national security issue as opposed to like a human rights one, which is the I, case Rouhani was making before. I feel like the liberals are on on some very thin ice right now, just because the the deal, the Iran deal, which was supposed to be the thing that they sacrificed for for all this economic growth, just didn't peter out, at least economically. Um, in part because I, uh, at least in I think in Iranian minds, because they spent all those gains abroad. Yeah. Um, so I wonder how that, that politics is going to happen. But there is going to be a narrative that the Iran deal, whoever was associated with the Iran deal, is now in a political in, in political exile. Yeah. Oh, and that's and that's the centrist Rouhani faction. Um, we are running a little out of time. Yeah, no, sorry. It's, no, 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 no. it's a big, it's big, a big thing, topic. Yeah. Um, I, but I think rather than trying to take on a bunch of small things, let's just talk about the one thing that we haven't been able to get to, which is North Korea. Okay. And so the implications are that I think you were I, would, I think you were trying to get to is that since America can't be trusted to sign a deal, what is North Korea going forward with, right? Like why would they engage with us in any way? Or even, even if this is just a, a puppet show, will the deal that we sign with North Korea be impressive to anybody, right? Like no. will... Will anyone give a shit whatever deal we make with North Korea, right? If we, you know, like it could have been that we make this impressive deal with North Korea, right? And then we pull out of the Iran. We have the certain cynicism that says that our policies, by their nature, are going to be very, very shallow. Yeah, largely because of the person who ultimately has to sign off on everything, right? So, Iran bad. Yeah, uh, North Korea now. He well, what we want is effectively Good little more. Mark. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, what you want is a photo op, and then some words around that photo op. Well, I think it's even more dumb than that. 
Trump has put just put his entire legacy and honor in the hands of North Korea. So one of the things that's kind of driving the this talking, um, this talking conference, uh, <laughs> whatever is driving at least North Korea to the table is that during the past year there's been a concerted effort both uh, by the Trump administration and China to effectively cripple North Korea commercially, right? Yeah. So up until recently, China has been uh, very reluctant to punish its partners, but for some reason in 2017-ish, it was convinced that North Korea is a political liability. Yeah. So they started to do things like curtail, I think, imports of oil, I'm sorry, of coal, I think, and so some things that were really the important um the meat and the bones of the economy. And I think that's what drove uh, young Mr. Kim to the negotiating table eventually, right? And mm-hmm. it, it doesn't hurt that you have someone who, on the other side of the negotiating table who's generally considered erratic and, and bellicose. Great time to negotiate. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so this is so what North Korea wants is some sort of easing of the sanctions, was my point. Yeah. What America wants is denuclearization. Whatever that means. Right. <laughs> because you don't forget how to build a technology. You just promise not to engage in it. Yeah, and not have anybody check. <laughs> right. So um, there is no way that North Korea will give up the bomb. Yeah, so they might give up their fake missile program, uh, in which case... But I think I think the bomb is the one thing that guarantees that the exit the existence of North Korea in the minds of people in charge of North Korea. Yeah, at least the ability to blow themselves up. I mean, yeah. Right. So yeah. this is it is tantamount to security. The the minute For they sure. give it up, the minute they give it up, they go the way of Gaddafi. Yeah. Or Saddam Hussein, right? right? And so that's that's sort of the great global lesson of the 2000s. Yeah. Is that you don't give up these hugely destructive weapons. Yeah. So there's no incentive for them to give that up. So they will probably engage in some sort of elaborate pantomime around it. Yeah. And where they get rid of their missile program and America gets rid of some of its missiles pointed at North Korea. Or, or withdraws troops. And we declare an end to the Korean oh, War. All right. So, yeah. yeah so photo op. Yeah. Uh, on paper, we've ended the Korean War. Um, and things are exactly the same as they were before Donald Trump took office. Except yeah. that yeah, America... And I think, takes off some sanctions and China is able to invest as much Once as Once again, wants. right. So I think yeah. what they want is to go to the, the... They really just want a reset before things got really bad. Yeah, and I think that would have been brilliant. Very 18, smart for Trump, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah to, I, I think he'll set it back to... what I think the biggest thing, biggest thing is that he'll set back everything to about 18 months before he, take, he took over the presidency. Yeah, which is nauseating I right. mean, to me because the It'll real be problem with, victory. with North Korea is not that it is scary. It doesn't scare me. It doesn't really scare anybody. It's that it is a human rights nightmare. They're like monstrous. They're the most monstrous country to its own people, right? Sure. And there's nothing anybody can do about it because they're a country with a gun to its own head, right? And, that's, yeah. and they've shown a willingness to that to use this gun, right, against themselves. Right. And the, do we want a human rights nightmare? No, we don't want <clears throat> this. the millions of people there all of a sudden pouring into China or South Korea. Right. Or maybe we... You know, we don't want them all dead by their own hand. It's, it's yeah. a cult. It's not a. Uh, it's not a scary state actor, right? It's it's the Branch Davidians or the, or the Heaven's Gate. You know. Yeah. But Kim and Trump have made this pantomime that makes 
North Korea all of a sudden into a real country, right? right. And therefore, you can declare peace with a real country, and it means something. And well, I think so both are fake and nauseating, right? Both are engaging in a sort of propaganda yeah, yeah. diplomacy. Yeah. So that Trump needs something to declare victory. Same thing with Kim. I think they'll budge very little, but again, the victory here will be they will have set it back to a time when Trump was not in power, right? right. Like because it, everything had just ratcheted up. Like they're just setting it back. So North Korea will continue to have a program, no matter whatever they right. say. I mean, and this would be great for South Korea, theoretically. It could be like, we are no longer as influential in South Korea as we once were. Right, so we have someone who's less friendly to the U.S. Yeah. On, the, on the South Korean side. That is absolutely true. Um, leftish, more dovish, sunshine policy kind of guy. Yeah. Uh, as opposed to Park Geun-hye, um, who was certainly very close uh, to uh, Washington. We also didn't didn't join the TPP, so that was yeah. something that would have benefited every country in that region, and we checked out of that, so that was another incentive mm-hmm. for South Korea to be more are, pro-American. Than right, exactly. So we are wa- we have a waning influence, for sure. Yeah. Um, I'm just saying, it's not a great time to be Taiwanese or South Korean. No, it's not. And that 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 is a real problem. It's not yes. a great time to be Japanese either, right? You know, Less so. You have some distance. You have yes. some distance and you have, right. you know, we're not going anywhere yet, but yeah. it's um, Korean reunification leading to a uh, Chinese protectorate would be great for China. Right? For sure. <laughs> I think if anyone is seeing the difference between the two countries, I think we're all going to argue that democracy is coming to the north of, of the peninsula and not communism is coming to the south. Absolutely, but right. for how long, you know? Right. On a nice, like, 100-year treaty. Yeah, I guess so, yeah. You know? It's just like a la Hong Kong. So South Korea government and democracy and the economy take over, much like West Germany took over East Germany. Yeah, but, like, a million times harder and more destabilizing to the South Korean economy. Yes. And that only works because of Western investment in Germany, right? right? Like, that was, you know, like, that, right. it, which is still happening, right? Like, sure. Okay. Uh, and Germany was surrounded by Europe, whereas South Korea is surrounded by the sea in China. Yeah. I mean, okay, all of that is fair. I just... So are you saying that eventually it will fail and then China will take over? I can believe that scenario. I'm saying that our involvement in Korea was a really happy and fortunate strategic geopolitical accident and things will revert to the way they probably should be, which is that Korea is part of China's sphere of influence. And there's probably nothing we can do about it, but we're certainly doing nothing. Mm, Interesting. Okay. I don't know if I agree with that, but it's a good point. Yeah. Uh, I guess that's it for us. This has been episode 43 of Room of Requirement. Uh, Thanks, everyone, for listening, and thank you to Kevin Carter for producing our intro and outro music. (laughs) 